This morning, uh, I'm, I'm concluding a series called Rooted. Everybody say Rooted. We talked about being rooted in relationships, rooted in grace. And um, today I want to talk about being rooted and still fighting. And still fighting. Being rooted and still fighting. Are you ready for the word? I said, are you ready for the word? Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you would open them up um, with me or open them up um, to the book of Mark, chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. And then for those of you um, overachievers, 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. But we'll start with Mark, chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. Do we have it in the back? Cool beans. I'll be reading at the New King James. Again, the message title is Rooted but Still Fighting. Rooted and Still Fighting. Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 36, it says this. Now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. She was struggling with issues. She had a physical ailment. She had problems that were going on in her life for 12 years. And for 12 years, she never received healing. She never received fulfillment. She was lacking. And for 12 years, had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better. But rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, everybody say Jesus. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd, touched his garment, for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Next scripture says, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched me? Or who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you? And you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. If you would turn, to your, um, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses, four um, verses 7 through 8, it says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, everybody say finally. There comes a point where your fighting is over. There comes a point in your anguish, it ends. There comes a point when you have done all you've known to do. Finally, everybody say finally. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I find it interesting when it comes to the life of the Apostle Paul. I know a lot about the Apostle Paul. He wrote more books of the New Testament than any other disciple. The Apostle Paul was a hunchback. He wasn't good looking at all. The Bible says that Paul, the Apostle Paul was long-winded. Anybody know any long-winded preachers? The Apostle Paul uh, was part of the Sanhedrin. Um, the the Apostle Paul, man, uh, wrote so many letters in prison, wrote so many letters while he was in, experiencing so much oppression. But there's one thing I have never seen in the life of the Apostle Paul. I've never seen him throw a punch. I've never seen him in a physical fight. Yet Paul says, if you would go back to that verse in verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. Now, what fight have you been fighting, Paul, to write in your letter to, the, um, to Timothy that you've been a part of? I haven't seen you throw on punch. I haven't seen you body slam anyone. I haven't seen you, you know, go gently or go Hulk Hogan on anyone. Like, what fight do you know of? What fight have you ever been a part of? But there is a fight that Paul talks about that he finished. There was a fight that... Paul talks about that he experienced. There's a 
fight that Paul talked about that he encountered. And here's the thing. If you read your Bibles, it says, you know, our fight isn't against flesh and blood. Or another scripture says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities. And uh, we wrestle against Satan. We wrestle against his army. We wrestle against his demons. We wrestle against that demonic force. And Paul is simply saying, you know what, I've been a part of the right fight. I've been, a, I've been in the right ring, and I was able to accomplish, you know what, you know what the right opponent, and to be able to defeat the right enemy. How many have ever been in the wrong fight? <laughs> you argued the wrong person. Happens a lot with my wife. You know, um, I, I don't know about you, but it's, it, for some reason, I, I seem to be experiencing Alzheimer's when it comes to remembering my arguments with my wife. She'll say things like, you know, when we're in an argument and we're, we are fighting, she says, well, well, well give, me, give me a time. You say, I always do. Well, give me a time where I just did it, just recently. And I had to look at her just, and I just smile. Smile and wave, boys. Just smile and wave. <laughs> I mean, I would fight you if I could remember like you. It's like she remembers everything. She can remember the pants I wore. She can remember the color of shirt. That was on my back. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They, they, all the men are saying, and the men said, amen. <laughs> they just remember everything. But, and here we are as men, you know, we can't remember nothing. And, and it's like, man, we keep losing this fight because, we're, because our, enemy, our, our enemy isn't our wife and our enemy isn't our kids. Our enemy isn't our boss. Our enemy isn't people. Our enemy is Satan. Our enemy is the it is a demonic force. Our enemy is principalities. That is our enemy. And yet we find ourselves fighting. We, we know we're supposed to be committed to fighting. We know we're supposed to be committed in the faith. We know we're supposed to be consistent when it comes to spiritual warfare. But we can't, for some reason, find to achieve or to gain any ground. And we get frustrated. We get angry. And we want to quit. Maybe because we are in the wrong fight. You're fighting flesh when you're supposed to be fighting spiritual, you know, fighting, fighting spiritual warfare. You're fighting a person when you're fighting, when you're supposed to be fighting Satan. You're, you're fighting all these people wanting to win, but you're winning the, the wrong battles. Fighting all these people and wondering why you're not advancing. The Bible says he, he was committed to the course. There's a big difference between being committed to a fight and committed to the course. You can be committed to the fight, but in the wrong course. The Bible says that he was committed to the course that was set before him. And he finished well the fight that he was in, that God positioned him to be in. Here's one of the things that I realize when it comes to problems. Anybody ever experienced a problem this week? My wife was experiencing problems with the kids, getting them ready and getting them here on the, you know, the church, you know, the struggle of every wife. And all the women said, amen. The, prob- the, 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 the problem with getting over our problems, if I had to say it that way, the problem with getting over our problems is that we don't like to stay persistent. Because they're prob- who in the world wants to confront their problems? Who in the world wants to confront confrontation? Who in the world wants to confront issues and idiosyncrasies and the things that seem to just get under your skin and dig at you and just get the best of you? Who in the world wants to do that? But one of the things that I've come to, you know, when it comes to understanding is this. In order to get better, you have to deal with your failure. And so many people, we ignore our failures. We ignore our idiosyncrasies. We ignore our weaknesses. And we try to move forward. But until you confront your failures, your marriage will never become better. You'll never become a better mother. You'll never become a better husband. You'll never become a better son. You'll never become a better daughter. You'll never become a better faith-filled follower of Christ if you don't focus on your failures. Your failure to obey, your failure to be committed, your failure to rely on God and his grace for all your needs. We learned last week that his grace is sufficient for all our needs. Paul prayed three times. Three times. Everybody say three times. He prays three times. God, get this thing out of me. But yet he prays one time for somebody who died. 
He gets raised up. He gets raised from the dead. He prays one time for a person who's blind, and he receives his sight. Even Jesus himself, he prays one time, and Lazarus comes out of a tomb. He prays one time, and people receive their sight. But he has to pray three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. God, remove this cup from me. Three times. And God says no. And tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for every problem and storm you're in. You know what I love? I have, man, didn't, me and my wife, we, we, we're, we're, we're in the starting phase, a starting phase of raising our kids. They're seven, eight years old. They're in the public school system. And one of my prayers for my kids is, God, I want them to be godly-fearing people. I want them to be able to experience more than I've ever experienced. I want them to have more anointing than I've ever had. I want them to start where I finished. I don't want them to start where I started. Anybody want that for your family? Am I the only one that wants my kids to have better than me? I want my kids to be able to experience more, to be able to go further and be able to do more than I will ever be able to. I want them to have the best opportunity, be able to be positioned in the right place, to be able to experience, you know what, the right people, and to be able when divine opportunity comes to walk in their destiny and to walk in their calling that God has placed over their life. And so one of the main prayers that I've been praying for my sons and for my daughters, God, save them. Anybody pray that for your kids? I want them to know you in the fullness of you. I want them to know your grace. I want them to know your power. That's been a major prayer for me and my wife. I want them to know your power. I want them to know your healing. I want them to know the tangible presence of you when they desire you. When they seek your face, you show up and you're in their presence. One of the things that is frustrating with me is when I understand kingdom principles it reveals a different process of how he manifests divine opportunity in our life. God never answers like you want him to answer for you. Whenever you think you understand God, it's never the obvious. <laughs> God blesses Joseph with favor with a coat of many colors. And then the process begins, and for 15 years of his life, he's traded as a, as a slave. He's He's treated as a prisoner, and then one day we see him promoted to the palace. The process, of God, the process of God is so crazy. But if you constantly put your breakthrough based on what you want to go through, you'll never experience breakthrough. Because with God, God will take you through a crazy roller coaster ride. This amazing journey of highs and lows. And if you are not rooted in your faith, you'll miss it all. So many people are focused on the end that they miss it in the middle. They miss the entire journey. They, they, and so what ends up happening is that they miss that divine opportunity at Walmart. And they miss that divine opportunity in the cubicle. They miss that divine opportunity at Walmart. They, they, miss, they miss that divine opportunity at the register. They miss that divine opportunity at Bank of America with their banker. They miss that divine opportunity when they're getting a root canal, man. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and they're getting the wisdom thing out. They miss it. We think that divine opportunity is only to the homeless. No, divine opportunity is to anybody who has awareness to what God wants to do when you are in any situation. God can move anywhere, through anyone, through everything. But if we will have awareness. But here's the thing about the process of God and how he moves. Me and my wife, we were very, we were, I was very irritated this week because of some of the news that I got from my kids. There's a, there's a boy in, um, in um, there's a boy at school, and, and, um, and this boy, and, um, uh, because of his environment, because of what he's seen, remember, you are a product of your environment. Show me your friends, I'll show your what? Your future. Say whatever you want, dream whatever you want. You'll never get there unless you have the right resources around you, which is people. You want to have a double, um, double portion of anointing Elisha? You better get your Elijah. You know what I mean? You want to be a mighty warrior, one day Moses? You better have a mentor. He got, he, remember, he was raised in Egypt. He wasn't just some average Joe from the block. One of the things that, um, that blew my mind with my kids, Jennifer comes home. She's like, I'm mad right now. I'm like, why? There's a kid 
that keeps going behind other girls, puts his hands on their hips, and starts, starts humping them. I'm like, he did what? I was angry. I, God of heaven, I was angry. She goes on to tell me about Judah and Gavin. There were some boys. Um, there were some boys um, in his class, or, or not in his class, somewhere within recess or during lunchtime. You know, they were dropping the F word. These are my seven-year-olds and my eight-year-olds. They were dropping the F word, and they're, they're talking. They're, there was a girl walking, and they're like, man, I want to tap that. These are seven- and eight-year-old kids talking like this. I mean, I, fury was bowling up inside of me. And so, you know, and there's Jennifer. She's crying. She is, she's in tears. And here I am trying to be the man, trying to hold it together. Men know what I'm talking about? You want, you, want, you, want to, you want to go Hulk Hogan? You want to go Incredible Hulk and just dad smash everything, you know? I was trying to hold it together. And then, and then she continued to say other things. You're not going to believe what happened. I'm like, what? Judah and Gavin, um, they started sitting on the other side of the, t- uh, of the table. Why would they sit on the other side of the table? They told them they don't want to be around people who want to cuss. It's like, what? Shoot. I was talking to Gracie. I was like, hey, who's, who's this boy? What, 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 you know, what, 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 what normally goes on? You know, how, how do people respond to him? Well, a lot of girls think it's funny. I'm like, what do you do? I told him, bye, Felicia. Isn't that what you told me when people get on my nerves, they buy from like, go, go, go ahead, go. Ah. Um, he tried to do it again, and I kicked him in his leg. Go ahead, baby, kick him again. Train up a child in the way. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me clearly this week. You want me to send the rain? The rain comes via storm. How can I save a child that doesn't need saving? How can I heal somebody who doesn't need healing? And then I started thinking about that. I've been meditating on this, on this word all week. And he started speaking into my spirit, speaking into my mind. He's, how can I feed somebody who doesn't ask because they're not hungry? How can I give, how can I, how can I quench somebody's thirst, but they refuse to tell me they're thirsty? When Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. God wants to fill us, but he wants us to ask him. But when we ask him, are we going to rely and trust him through the process? And not allow the problems or the storm of our life to dictate, to dictate us and rule us and how we respond in every situation. No, as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. God, I want, I want you to use my son. Well, if you want me to, you want me to shine, I gotta, there has to be darkness in order for light to have impact. You want me to, you, want, you, you pray that you want him to have a voice, but there has to be darkness in order for him to speak out light. A lot of the problems that we are experiencing in life, God is blessing you with it in order for you to experience spiritual manifestation from it. Every problem that you get, every situation you're in, God ordained it. God ordained Joseph to be sold into human trafficking. God ordained Joseph to be a prisoner. And God ordained it that if he had the right character, if he had the right heart, if he was determined to be rooted in faith, he could be able to get through it all. See, here's one of the things I I had to write down because I wanted to make sure you get this clearly. Your problem will eventually get sick of the process if you can just be persistent and not stop praying. Your problem will get sick of it, sick of the prayer. Your problem will get sick of the faithfulness. Your problem will get sick of the word if you can stay persistent in reading your word. Be persistent when it comes to having a prayer life. Be persistent when it comes to looking to the hills where your help comes from. My help does not come from my wife, and my help does not come from Dr. Feelgood. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So why is it that I, 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 for some reason, when I look to the left, when I look to the right, I am shakable. 
I, I, there is a time, there is a season that you can step in where you are unshakable. You are immovable. Why? Because God is for you. The Bible says all things in this world will pass away. All the things in this world will fade. All things in this world will be destroyed. But one thing will remain. My God. My God is unshakable. He is immovable. And if I am rooted in him, so am I. Can somebody shout? Can somebody give God praise? Can somebody respond? I want to be unshakable. I want to be immovable. It's only when you're rooted in him. But are you rooted in feelings or are you rooted in faith? It's a big difference. Feelings were never meant to be your dictator. They were meant to be your indicators to show you where you really are in your walk with the Lord. And so storms show you how much you've been prepared. Storms show you, you know what, the cracks in your house. Storms will show you where you're leaking in areas that you need to patch up in order for your house to be unshakable and immovable. Come on, somebody. I want to have a house that no enemy, no, no plan of the enemy can come in. I want to have a house that is so secure, that is so, that, 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 that is so unbreakable that no matter what tries to come in my house, it can't get in. Why? Because I've been faithful. You'll never know where you are, and you'll never know the areas that are missing. You'll never know the holes in your life unless you have a storm. And so we pray, God, send the rain. God sends a storm. We pray, God, give me, give me supernatural miracles. And so he'll send natural disaster. And we pray, God, give me all this. And he'll allow all this stuff. I mean, remember the, remember the, the, the story of Job? He never did nothing wrong. And his children died. Read the book of Job. He did nothing wrong. And he lost his business. He did nothing wrong. And his house was burned down all within a 24-hour period. Smoked at it. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. But he had this one thing he was faithful. Just because you're faithful doesn't mean you're not fearful. Can we just be honest? I don't know if you noticed, but remember the woman with the issue of blood? She got healed. But remember what happened afterwards? She had fear. She had faith to touch the hem of his garment, but she had fear as far as when God spoke to her. Oh, come on, man. Y'all don't want me to preach. We want to preach like, oh, no, you got to be perfect, complete, whole, nothing missing. No, you can have faith and still have fear. The opposite of faith is not fear. The opposite of faith is sight. It's how you see a thing. It's how you perceive a thing. What you think, a situation, do you realize that the anointing um, God's people is subject to your perception? It's not subject to the man of God. Your, what you receive from men of God is all put on how you perceive a person. Look at Jesus when he comes into his hometown. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say that he did hardly any miracles, not because he didn't want to, not because he couldn't. It's because of how they perceived him. He's a carpenter's son. He ain't the Christ. He's a carpenter's son. He's not the anointed one. He's a carpenter's son. There's no, there's, there's no way greatness can come out of his life. He's normal, just like me and you. And because of their perception of Jesus, they never received anything from Jesus. Even though Jesus can do all things. I said Jesus can do all things. One more time. Does anybody believe me? Jesus can do all things. But how do you perceive How do you perceive? Man, I love this. The Bible says that the woman for 12 years, 12 years was dealing with all sorts of crazy stuff in her body. And for 12 years, she tried everything. Here's the thing that we, ha we have to establish and we have to, as far as make a foundation before we build up anything else, is that this woman was crazy rich. She wasn't a homeless person. She wasn't hurting. She was rich she, to the point where she was able to see a doctor every year. Most people back then weren't able to see a doctor. I just read an interesting fact. In the 1930s, people, the average um, people, oh, how do I say this right? Holy Spirit, help me. People lived up to the age of 45 in the 1930s. In the 1930s, the average age, or the, the person died, started dying at the age of 45. It was not normal for people to live uh, over 45 back in the 1920s and 30s. 
Blew my mind, that, that statistic. Blew my mind. Why? Because of advancements. Back then, it was very, it, it was, you know, supply and demand. You know what I mean? People can just mark. There wasn't all these, you know, there wasn't all these laws to dictate and regulate. You know, thank God for the, you know, um, for the FDA. They can regulate food. You just can't have just any average Joe just open up shop and create food. You, you know what I mean? And so this woman, every year, would see the doctor in order to fix the issue that she was having. To the point where the Bible says that it, in the midst of trying to fix the issue, the issue got worse. Some of you can relate to that. You're in an issue right now, and you try to get help from your mom, it ain't working. Help from your dad, it ain't working. Help from the government, it ain't working. And for some reason, it just seems to be getting worse. But the Bible says that there was a perception that changed in her mind. Jesus is in town. Jesus is in here. For 12 years, she went to this, to this, to this, to that, and all, all these things over here. But there's in one moment, something shifted in her mind. Everybody say shift. Something shifted in her mind. Man, if I can just maybe touch the hem of his garment. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus wasn't planning on going to her house. Jesus wasn't planning on meeting with this woman. Jesus did not get with her secretary, get with her secretary you know, and plan out a time to be able to get with her. You know what she did? She pushed. Everybody say pushed. She pushed. She pushed through the pain of what her body was experiencing. She pushed through all the problem of financial issues that she dealt with for 12 years. She pushed through all the, all, all the failures of all the other physicians that could not fix her and unfortunately, unfortunately made it worse. And she pushed through the crowd. And as she pushed through the crowd, the Bible says she pulled power. As she, as she pushed through the crowd and touched the hem of his garment, she received power that healed her body. And the Bible says that she felt something change within. Have you, how many people in this place have ever experienced a change within? Make some noise in this place. You experience the saving power of God. You experience them change your mind. You, you've experienced them restore your heart. You re, you've experienced them give you a fresh vision and a fresh fire that you lost many, many years ago. The Bible says that as she, as she touched the hem of his garment, the Bible says that Jesus stopped everything. He was planning on going somewhere to do something. But in the process of going to Jerry's house, some guy who pursued Jesus, some guy who asked Jesus to come to my house, instead of waiting for God to come to her house, she went to him. Everything changed instantly. I wonder, how bad do you really want your breakthrough? I wonder, how bad do you really want your kids, your mom, your dad, to turn around and be saved? I wonder how bad you really want to be able to make an impact in this world for God. I wonder how bad, how many people want to break through show of hands? The problem with experiencing a breakthrough, we refuse to push through all our problems and pain. There's a difference. See, a lot of us would love to say, a lot of us tell others, I'm committed. My life, I'm committed. Most people don't have a committed life. They live a life based on convenience. They're entirely different. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? A life of convenience only moves when everything feels good. But a life that is committed says, you know what? There are, I accept no excuses, only results. Come on now. 12 years she kept working on this problem. For 12 years, she kept searching for an answer for this thing. For 12 years, she kept being, you know, being neglected, her answer to be able to be fulfilled in this area of her life. 12 years. But finally, because of her commitment, finally, at least she tried. At least she pushed. And as she pushed, the Bible says she experienced healing within. Every one of us can experience the breakthrough we want if we can just right now experience pushing within. Push through the problematic issues of our life, of our failures, and confront our failures in order to become better. Confront our confrontations in order for clarity for our vision. Confront the pink elephant in the room and instead of ignoring it and say, you know what, this is what I'm dealing with. I need help. I need help in my marriage. I need help to be a father. I need help to be a, a pastor. I need help to be a spiritual leader. I need help. Someone shout, I need help. 
But here's the problem. The enemy doesn't want you to ask for help. And so he makes you, he makes you think you don't deserve help. He makes you feel like you're guilty. Yeah, and because of all the things that you messed up in your past, you, 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 why should you get help? You've already messed up so many times. Why should you get it now? Nothing's going to change. You're just like who you were last year. You're just like you were, who you were five years ago. You're just like who you were 10 years ago. You're going to mess up. But what the enemy does, but what you don't realize and the enemy realizes is that if you can find that other person in your life, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. And he realizes if I can just isolate you and keep you by yourself, you'll be a dull axe and you'll never be able to cut anything out of your life. And that's why the Bible says a two-stranded cord does something, but a three-stranded cord availeth much. We were better together. We're better together. God says it's not good for men to what? Be alone. We were never meant to be isolated. We were meant to be rooted together, rooted in relationship, rooted in faith, rooted in grace, coming together as one body saying, you know what, God? Here we go. Let's do this. I'm ready to fight. When you refuse to fight, you refuse to win. <laughs> There's no winning without fighting. <laughs> Can we just say that? Can we, can we just clear the room? As long as you are living here on earth, you will never stop fighting. Fighting is normal. It's just life. I was talking to a basketball player at NGU yesterday. He's, I think, 6'10 to 6'11. The Jew's bigger than, taller than Brian uh, Wills. He's probably the tallest person I know in this church right now. Tall of this dude. And... Um, one of the things, one of the things that um, Judge Jenkins was talking to me about was, um, man, it, it was hard in middle school being tall. You know, when I was when I was in middle school, I was already like five ten. You know, um, and when I would walk in the room, especially uh, you know with little kids, people, this is what they would do to me. I love going with Mary because people do that with Mary all the time. They were just doing it Friday during my um, baby girls. A little birthday celebration at her local um, elementary school. There, all the kids were like, one teacher was like, we're just admiring how tall you are. I'm like, creeper? Any, mama, mama tell you how to, you know, raise you right? How to, look at, how to look at a person right? This is what he said. You know, for so long, I thought, I thought people were looking at me because of my skin color. I thought people were looking at me because maybe I had a booger on my face. They were just looking at me because I was tall. I've just come to a place now. I just, I've just owned it. That's just who I am. <laughs> Man, that's just who I am. That's just part of the life that I live and the structure of my body and my physique. That's just who I, and, and guess what? I've owned it. And because I've owned it, I don't fear it. Because I owned it, I don't have to worry about it. Because I owned it, I'm not insecure about it. Why? Because I, everybody say, I own it. Have you owned who you are? Have you owned where you've been? Have you owned what you've done? Have you confronted the pink elephant in the room and say, you know what? No, I'm going to own this thing. Yes, I screwed up, but I am more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Though the righteous fall seven times, what? He gets back up. Yes, I was a fallen sinner, but no longer. Now I am free. Now I am a son. Now I am an overcomer. I am blessed, and whatever my feet touch, my Father's going to give it to me. Why? Because I am his, and he is mine. Thank you. I'll take that one amen. Here's the thing. Why does the enemy not want you to own it? Why does the enemy not want you to speak about it? Why does the enemy want you to get to a place where you're guilty and you don't ask about it? Because when you start asking about it, you'll start, your mind will start changing and your perception will start shifting and you'll start thinking, I deserve it. Can I just tell you something? You do. You deserve it. You deserve it as a son of God to be free. <laughs> you, de you deserve it as a daughter of the king to have your mind made whole. <laughs> you someone say, you deserve it. You deserve to be everything that God's called you to be, blessed and highly favored. Blessed when you walk in the city, blessed when you walk out of the city. You deserve it. But we live in this, we live in this generation where it's like impoverished mentality when it comes to our spirituality. Oh, I'm, just, I'm just a beggar. You know, just showing people where to get bread. When my Bible says you are made a victor in Christ Jesus, you can do all things in Jesus. 
all things are possible in Jesus. Of course, they're not in you. That's why denominations have fallen from the left and right. Non-denominations have fallen to the left and right because we've connected it to this and that, and we have it connected to the bedrock source of our foundation. That is Jesus. What are you rooted in? What are you pushing for? At the end of the day, can we just be honest? We're pushing for that promotion. We're pushing for that raise. We're pushing for that relationship. We're not pushing for our faith. We're not pushing for righteousness. We're not pushing for faithful obedience. We're pushing for all. We're pushing for a feeling. We're pushing for an emotion. We're pushing for a roller coaster ride that feels good. Only the only problem with that is if you do it long enough, you lose that high. So you go from one thing to another, one relation to another, one job to another. You know, one, one, one house, one, one genre of music, another, another type of activity, one from another. And you never find fulfillment. Why? Because every one of those things will knock down that house. There's only one wall that will remain forever standing, and that is Jesus. Are you rooted in Jesus? And if you are rooted in Jesus, how, are you, how is your faith as far as you pushing to be closer to him? How are you pushing to be close? How are you pushing yourself to read your word? How are you pushing yourself to be an example? How are you pushing yourself to get help? To get help. Someone say, get help. Do you realize that I am, I know I've said this before, but I want to take it to, I want to take it to a, you know, a different avenue. I am a collection of my mentors. I'm a collection of the people who are pouring into my life right now. I did not get here all by myself. I know a lot of people want that. A lot of people wish that, but there is no such thing as somebody getting there by themselves. Everybody has had somebody propel them in the position that they're in. And maybe the reason why you feel broke, busted, and disgusted is because you don't have nobody that you're asking and crying out for help. You're not pushing through the crowd. You're reasoning your problems. You're not pushing through the opinions of people. You're you're constantly looking at tradition and religion. You're not pushing through. And here's the hard thing about pushing through. In order to push through, you got to relearn when, while you're going through. We don't want to relearn why we believe what we, we believe. We don't want to relearn what makes us tick. We don't want to relearn our strengths and relearn where we are really weak. Some of us think that we're strong in one area. We're actually weak in it. Areas that we're weak in, God is saying, you know what, I'm about to make you strong in but we'll never know until we evaluate or step back, evaluate, and say, God, here I am. Send me. Here I am. I need help. Here am I, God. Send the rain and wash away every iniquity of sin that's in my life today. We got to push. Everybody say push through. The Bible says that she pushed through. I want to give you three areas as I begin to close. Well, no, I say I begin to close. That's a lie. Three areas that I think that's going to help you. I was going to give this to my executive staff, you know, as far as a leadership lesson, and then the Holy Spirit said, give this to the church. These are three areas in life that every person, every human being, everyone in here, you, you fall in one of these three categories. You're operating at some level in these three areas. One of the things that you might have heard, everybody say IQ. If you want to break through, you got to have IQ. That is your intelligent quotient. Intelligent quotient is not how smart you are. Intelligent quotient is the space, the hard drive. It's, it's the quota. It's like, it's like a five tetherbot hard drive. It's how much you can fit into that space that you can hold everywhere you go in every space that you find yourself in. Everybody say IQ. The problem with IQ, the problem with IQ, you can, have, you can be smart intelligently, but be very weak emotionally. You got book smarts for days. You got more degrees than a thermometer, but your emotional level is terrible. And you, you ever seen those people, they just wear their emotions on their shoulders? It's like you know exactly what they're feeling in every moment of their life, but they have degrees and they seem smart. Yeah, they have IQ, but they don't have EQ, emotional quotient. They don't know how to handle confrontation. They don't know how to handle problems. They don't know how to handle issues. More importantly, they don't know how to handle change. They know what to do. They know how to do it. But when it comes to their mind, they are just scatterbrained everywhere. 
Like, like I know what it takes, but just don't change me. I mean, isn't that how we pray to God? God, I want you to change my finances. God, uh, but don't change how I work. <laughs> God, I want, I want you to change my marriage, but God, don't, don't, don't cause me to ask for forgiveness to my wife. <laughs> don't change me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? God, I want you to change my kids, but now, but in order to change my kids, you got to change me and the emotional integrity of my life. Oh, yeah, you, 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 you read George Meyer's book, Battlefield of the Mind, and yeah, you read all those other books as far as what it means to be a good wife and a good husband. But have you ever focused on the emotional behavior of your life? How you respond to questions, how you respond to issues, how you respond to confrontation. This has been a breakthrough in my life in the last two years of leadership. Because in leadership, I would get frustrated with people. They were so smart, but couldn't handle small issues. See, a lot of people hire based on IQ, on their intelligence. They hire based on the degree. They hire based on their knowledge. But one of the things about, you might hire based on IQ, but guess what? You got to live all day with EQ. <laughs> right? Okay, single people. Let me talk to the single people. Just because that person talks right, looks right, doesn't mean she is emotionally right, or he is emotionally right. You don't really know, you know, how much they can emotionally handle until you, can I be honest, until you're married. I'm a, you know, yesterday was 11 years married to the most beautiful woman in the world. And I'm still getting to know her. I'm still getting to know, you know, her, you know, her pet peeves. I'm still getting to know, you know, her idiosyncrasies, inside and out. Just because you experienced something 11 years ago doesn't mean it's going to be the same thing today. Can I be honest? I don't want it to be the same thing today. Because that means that that relationship is dwarfed. It hasn't grown. I want to grow. And then in order for something to grow, guess what? It, there has to be change. There has to be something. My, my, um, uh, this week, uh, while someone was cutting the grass, they found an, a six-foot-long snakeskin in our yard. Six foot long. It was taller than Judah and Gavin. They're like, it's taller than me. Let's find it. Jennifer's like, oh, no, I'm not ever going in there. In order for growth, something has to fall off. In order to grow, there are some things that you got to leave behind. In order to grow, there has to be an attitude of judgment. In order to grow, there are going to be some things that have to shift in your life. Anybody want to grow, then guess what? you got to face it. And you got to push through it. Something I've learned more important, I think it's more important than your intelligent quotient, I think it's more important than your emotional, emotional um, quotient, is your AQ. Everybody say AQ. Your, ad, um, your, ability, your ability to adapt in every situation. Your ability to adapt in any situation. I saw this firsthand last Sunday, last Sunday after church. Um, we're, we had a funeral um, that was um, being put together here at College Park. I wasn't even supposed to be in here or be a part of that. I decided I just wanted to help out and, and serve. And, um, and so we were going to help with the sound and the lights and just get everything ready and set up for the family. And that was the only responsibility that we, um, that we accepted or the only responsibility that was asked of us during that time. Well, it was in that moment. Um, uh, we, we got here around 11. We met some of the people who were going to be on, on, on program at 11.30. I'm sorry, at 1.30. We met them at 1.30. At 1.30. God, if I can get my times, times together. We're going to meet them here at 1.30 as far as the program. Everything was going to start at 2, and then everything was going to end around 3. Well, 1.30 came, and we're getting the mics together. Me and Zach, Zach came and helped me. Um, we got the songs together on the computer and made sure everything was ready. And then 1.55 came. Problem. The person who was going to do the, um, the ceremony wasn't here yet. 2 o'clock came. The person wasn't here yet. 2.10 came. The person wasn't here yet. And here I am freaking. I'm like, what is about to happen and go down? <laughs> I was stunned. I didn't know what to do. And so the whole entire time, I'm freaking out inside. I'm freaking. My, in my mind, there are fireworks blowing up all around. But 
there is there there is this uh, this married couple. They they were watching me. They're like, man, you seem to be okay about everything. Yeah, I am. But inside, I wasn't. Why? Because I had to hold it together. I had to hold it together. Why? Because I, I was trying to serve and do this thing with them together. There was enough people freaking out. Pastor don't need to be freaking out, you know. And so they're like, I don't know what we're gonna do. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what we're gonna do. So two twenty comes. No one's here yet. I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, here's what we're gonna do. Let's put a schedule together. Let's write everything out. Uh, you know, let, let's see about this. She's like, "Are you okay with this?" Yeah. Let's you know. I, let, let's adapt. Let's you know. Let's let's just put our brains together and see what we can do. Well, what ended up happening was, um, two thirty shows up. No one was here, and I was like, "Okay. Uh, what would you like? Would you mind doing it? Let, let's do it." Well, you haven't prepared nothing. Let's go. And we had to adapt. We had to adapt. Come on, someone, someone say adapt. None of that was planned. None of that was forecasted. But what do you do? You change, and you adapt. There was a lady there. She said, I, there, I, there is my whole, this one lady, she came up to me. She's like, my whole view of you has changed. You know how it changed? Because I adapt. Your marriage would change if you would just adapt. You've been acting like a husband 11 years ago. You've been keeping that same immature attitude that you had 11 years ago. You've been that selfish individual. Adapt. Someone shot adapt. You got you, how many of you know, man? Thank God for changing our cell phones. Change God. Change, thank God for change in cars. Thank God for changing the FDA and, and how food is regulated. Thank God that they have adapted when it comes to you know health the healthcare professions. I mean, you can get a surgery in the morning and be able to leave by the afternoon or the evening. Why? Because they have adapted. What used to take weeks now takes 24 hours or less than 24 hours. Why? Because they have learned to take what they were good at and become better. Why? By confronting the peak elephant in the room, confronting the issues at hand, confronting the failure. Because if I confront my failures, I'll become better. Just because you were successful in one thing doesn't mean you failed in something within that context. We can become better in any area. But if we can just have this vision, I am better together. So whatever it takes, I'm willing to push through the pain. I'm willing to push through the problems. I'm willing to push through my attitude. I'm willing to push through my behavior. I'm willing to push through my feelings and the emotional roller coaster of somebody who physically abused me, somebody who emotionally took me out, somebody who physically or sexually took advantage of me. I'm willing to push through because my God is able to do far exceedingly above all I could think or ask. He is greater. So if I want to experience something greater within, I got to push and touch them. If I want to experience breakthrough within, I got to push and get to them. If I want to experience a supernatural manifestation of God in my life, I got to put someone say push. I got to be real. I got to be, if I'm really rooted, you got to push. If you're really rooted, you got to fight. If you are really rooted, you will experience storms every time, every year, and almost every moment of your life. But God says, I am here to get you. See, here's the thing about God. God is not, God, we are are wanting so bad for God to pull us out of our problem. God is not going to pull you out of your problem. He's not. I said he's not. He's giving you the strength to push through it. He didn't change the woman with the issue of blood. She had a push through. He didn't change Joseph's, you know, life in the, as far as being, uh, being put in the, in the pit, sold into slavery. He had a push through. 15 years, David was running as a refugee, as a fugitive. He had a push through. He had, he had a push through in 1 Samuel chapter 24. He had a push through the feeling of taking the anointing for himself. And push through and say, God, no, you are the one who gives it. You are the one who can take it away. He had to push through. Instead of repaying evil with evil, he had to push through and repay evil with good. Instead of, here's the thing. 
If you really want, we live in a time where we are just, we are an entitled generation. And I don't blame you. I don't blame you. People talk about millennials. No, it's all of us. We're all entitled. And, and it's easy to be entitled because everybody, when you're a little kid, is told you're a winner. <laughs> I know I said it before. I'll say it again because I was talking to a father yesterday, and he's wondering why. Why is it? Because everybody's called a winner. I am so excited because now my kids get A's and B's right now in first grade. I'm sorry, second grade. K4, K5 in first grade. K4, K5 in first grade. They, they're just told they're all winners. Oh, and I hate it. Oh, I hate it so much. That's the school system we live in right now. Everybody's a winner. But then, can, can we just be honest? But, but when you get older, we're told in the church, you can do anything. That's true to an extent. You can be anything. That's true to an extent. But it's not entirely true overall. You can be whatever you want if you push through. <laughs> you can be whatever you want if you put hard work and have patience as you go through. I was talking with a young man just recently, um, 16 years old. God's called me to be a preacher, but every time I try to talk to somebody, my mind just gets messed up, and I can't keep my thoughts clear. I'm like, how old are you? I'm 16. Dude, you're starting at a better position than when I did when I started pushing through. All you need is work and patience. Is that not true? Isn't that what it takes to have a healthy marriage? Work and patience. Isn't that, what it mean, isn't that what it takes to be promoted in a business? Work and patience. Isn't that what it means to be successful in almost any area of your life? Work and patience. You have to work and you have to have, if someone say patience. James 1 says, rejoice when you go through trials and tribulations of many kinds, for it produces patience. It produces patience. You know what patience does? You know why it's being produced? You know why it's so needed in our life? Let patience have its work, James 1 says, so you will be complete, perfect, lacking nothing. You want to be complete? You want to be perfect? You want to, you know, have a time in your life where you're lacking nothing? Be patient. Keep working and pushing through. Sooner or later, you're going to get through the crowd. Sooner or later, you're going to get through the pain. Sooner or later, you're going to, you're going to be able to sift through the opinions of people and be able to experience your breakthrough if you will just push through. You'll experience your breakthrough if you just push through the pain and inconvenience. As I close and as the worship team comes up now. What area in your life are you stagnant in and not pushing through? What area in your life have you put the blame on other people instead of putting the blame on you and you start pushing through? Pushing through when it comes to the area of unforgiveness. Pushing in the area of bitterness. Pushing in the area of having to relearn vision. Relearn your mission. Relearn your values. Relearn where you're committed. Where in your life? We want to blame pastors. We want to blame churches. Can I be honest, the only thing stopping you is you. The only thing from, last time I checked, you have two hands, you can feed yourself. <laughs> I'm not getting fed, I'm not getting fed. My God, we got more word now than we've ever had in our entire life, amen? We got word on cassette tapes, we got word on CD, we got word on MP3, we got word on YouTube, we got word on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We got word for days. What we are lacking is people to be committed to push through. And be committed and rooted through everything they go through. Rooted. Rooted. It takes patience to be rooted. It takes time to be rooted. It takes time. Jesus didn't just step out of heaven and change everything in one year. It took him 33 and a half years. Right? David, for the majority of his life as king over Israel hardly experienced any peace till his son who came after him was able to experience that breakthrough. Why? Because he was willing to fight through, push through. You don't realize that your miracle is right around the corner if you will just push through that storm. Stop running from it. Stop praying away that storm. Allow that storm to come and to be able to nourish what God has planted within your heart. Allow that storm to come in order for God to be able to nurture and to be able to form that character, that godly character, that spiritual character, that heavenly character within your life. In order for God to be able to see that thing grow out of you, he has to water you. And water only comes through the storms. Storms were never there to kill you. Storms were there to show you 
who you really are. It shows how much trust you really have. Me and my wife are having to trust God now. Having to trust God that Judah and Gavin and Gracie are manipulated and taken out by the enemy. We're having to believe God. We're having to trust God. We find ourselves praying harder than ever now for our kids. I take every moment for my kids to fall asleep in my arms quick because as they fall asleep, I'm just, I'm just anointing their head. God bless them from the, sole, from the top of their head to the sole of their feet. Let the anointing of heaven flow and saturate every crevice and crack of their life. God, let their former days, God, be greater than my latter days. Father God, let, their, let everything that they touch be blessed. Let favor just ooze out of every area of their life. And let their light be brighter than mine. And I realize, I'm realizing, at the age of seven and eight, my kids are now being a light. Will they fall? Maybe. But my God is a saving, saving father who will pick them right back up again. And my prayer for you this morning You thought the enemy was coming after you. You thought the enemy was trying to kill you. No, he wasn't. It was God allowing the storm to water and show you what's really within you. With everybody, please stand. I don't know where you are this morning in your walk with the Lord. But I'll tell you straight up right now, I hate storms. I hate storms. But I love what it shows as far as my life. The Bible says that Jesus despised the cross. The Bible says Jesus despised the cross, but what? But what was set before him brought him so much joy. Come on. I hate the storm that is over my life, but I am filled with joy about what's ahead and what this storm is about to bring forth. I, I hate the fact that these nails are going to hurt, but I love the fact of what these nails are going to bring. I don't understand what I'm going through right now. I don't have to, but I know that you are a way maker. I know where there seems to be no way. You're going to make a way. God, I know that right now I'm facing afflictions from all sides, but many are the afflictions of the righteous, but they get back up. What am I saying? Get back up and fight. What am I saying? Get back up and get back in that marriage. Get back and be a father, be a mother. Get help. And our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And he's going to make all things work for your good to those who are called and live according to his purpose. Start living for him. Stop living for yourself. Stop living to say, God, bring the storm. Start living to say, God, I'm ready to fight. Paul said, Will you bring that scripture back up? In first and second Timothy chapter four, verse seven. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. This fight only stops to when we get into heaven. I said this fight is going to continue in your life till you see Jesus face to face. Stop avoiding the fight all this time. Stop retreating from the fight that you're in right now. You get up and you fight the good fight of faith and realize that God is your victor. God is your shield. God is your reward. God is the one who's going to defeat every enemy that rises its face against you. And every tongue that rises against you, it will fall. But you got to stand. How do I fight? How do I? Pastor Mark, that's, how do I fight? You fight through your faith. I don't know how, I don't know when. <laughs> but like that song says, he will do it again. I don't know how. I don't know how, but that, that's not my job. My job is to have faith. And to let all the people in this world, why, how in the world do you have your mind right, Miss Alvon? How do you have your mind right? How do you have your mind right? 
you were on all those prescription pills to keep your mind right. Your husband, how, how do you have your mind right? You have a care. How do you have that, Mr. Avon? And all you can say is, but God. But God. But Scott, man, how, how in the world are you still worshiping? How in the world are you still involved? How is your whole entire family somehow involved in church? Every last one. Now your daughter is in college and she wishes she was in. How does that happen? How, how did you get through it? How did you go through all those problems in your past? And all those people hurt you. All those people disown you. All those people disvalue you. How did you do it? When I can stand and say, but God. But God. Oh Christ. The solid rock I stand, I stand. All over the ground is what? Seeking sand. I'm rooted in him. And because I'm rooted in him, I'm not going to stop fighting for my family. I'm not going to stop believing for my community. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop fighting to see God's church be greater than it's ever been for when it comes to this world. We're going to keep fighting. We're going to keep pursuing. We're going to keep dreaming. We're going to keep, man, busting the limits of what seems to be standard, what seems to be normal, and say, you know what? We're going to keep going and pressing on. So one day, like Paul, we can look at to Timothy. I fought a good fight. I finished my race. You know why Paul said that? He was on his way to die, literally. And he wrote this letter to Timothy, gave it to one of his messengers to meet Paul. By the time Paul is reading this letter, he has already been, Paul has already been killed. He has already been killed. <laughs> Timothy understands this. He understands this. As you fight, people are going to understand you. People are going to abuse you. And people are going to take advantage of you. Because of your security in him, people are going to ask of you. Because of your strength, people are always going to come to you. That's just life, right? You know you are bad when people abuse you. <laughs> you know you are strong when people take advantage of you. You know you got something when people devalue you all the time. Mama experiences everything is given, right? Mama making all the meals and mama preparing all the plates. Mama getting the, the right dishes set on the table. You bring a friend and like, man, your mama's doing all sorts of stuff. Oh, that, that's just mama. That's, that's just what she does. You are, you've, you, you've gotten used to her hard work. You have gotten used to her committed spirit. You have gotten used to how rooted she is in your life. That now you have devalued it. God says, come back to your first love and be rooted in me. His Holy Spirit, I just feel his Holy Spirit crying. Desiring to have real intimacy with you this morning. Since this Holy Spirit is so strong for people, you're going through storms in your life, and everyone else thinks you're good. And now the enemy is throwing bitterness because you see all these other people getting treated right. You see all these other people being helped, and you see all these other people being prayed for. And there you are with your face all done up, sitting behind that pew thinking you were all right, and all hell has broken loose on you. God says, just, just cry out. I'm as close as the mentioning of my name. And so with every head raised, every eye open this morning, you would say, I need help. I need help in some area of my life. There's some area in my life I'm not complete. There's some area in my life I'm lacking. There's some area in my life I'm hurting. There's some area in my life I need, I need God to help me in right now. I am seeking right here with every head raised and every eye open. Will you just push through the crowd? 
push yourself out of that seat and find a place at this altar for prayer this morning. There's something in my life. There's something weighing in my heart. There's a storm happening in my mind. I need help right now. You're willing to say, God, I want you to be the bedrock of that today. Where I find hope, closure, and completion. As you bring tomorrow a new day. For those of you who are leaders in this church, if you would find somebody to come and pray for someone up here. For our pastoral staff, if you would come as well. The worship team is going to sing a song for those of you who are out here. Someone's going to come up in a minute, give some more instructions. But we want to spend just a little bit of time right now as we worship God, the one who gave it all. And as we pray for people, as they make a commitment to surrender it all, we want to lay it all down today. Amen. God bless you.